Welcome to the Kingdom at Hand. I am Pastor Joe Faldet. Today we are looking at Judges 5 verses 1 through 9 and applying the revival that Deborah sings about there to revival in general. Judges 5 verses 1 through 9. And I read in Jesus' name. Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, on that day, that the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly. Bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, to the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the region of Eden, Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped. Yes, the clouds dropped water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned, and travelers kept to the byways. byways. The villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. When new gods were chosen, then war was in the gates. Was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel? My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel, who offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. Let us pray. Father, as we come to study your word, we ask that you would work. Help us to see the patterns that you have for us here. Lord, that, that we might align ourselves with them. Lord, help us to see what you have, that we might be changed and become more like Christ, to be sanctified through your truth. Lord, as your word is truth, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And so, in, in all honesty, I'm, I'm not very good at poetry. That's <laughs> um, just not one of the gifts that God has given me. I liked math a lot more than I liked English class. And because in English class, we had to do stuff like poetry. And in math... It made sense, um, <laughs> but that's just me. And so, as as I read through uh, this poem, this song, there there's some things that I'm going to bring out. I'm not going through the whole thing because, in all honesty, I don't really know what I would preach on in, through the whole thing. Um, but as as I was reading it this week, I saw things, and so I thought, well, this this must be what God wants us to read about to to learn about he wants us to learn about revival which is ironic because that's what was just prophesied so we'll see what god teaches us because i'll tell you what in all honesty as i preach i learn things too sometimes something will come out and be like oh i'd never thought about that before um so it starts out with god's people and this is interesting because revival always starts out with god's people revival doesn't start Somewhere else. It's not God fix the non-Christians. Uh, as, as was once told me by Dr. Munseth, he told our whole class this, and he said, if you're preaching revival, if you're praying for revival, the first step is to draw a circle on the ground, step into that circle, and say, God, revive everything inside of this circle. You know, this starts here. This starts with the people of God. This starts with us, that God would revive that which within these four walls. And the way that Deborah states it here, it starts among the leaders. Not necessarily the leaders before the people, but 
It needs to be throughout the whole system. The leaders need to be revived. And what does it look like when leaders are revived? That the leaders took the lead in Israel. So oftentimes when we talk about leadership in America, we talk about the privileges that come with leadership. You know, you get power, you get authority, you get prestige. Um, In some positions of leadership, you know, not really the pastorate, but you get more money. Um, in, In some, I suppose there are some pastors that want bigger churches so that they can have bigger wallets, but that's whatever. Um, that's not what it means to be a leader. To be a leader means that you take the lead. And to take the lead means that you pick up the responsibility of those who follow. That's what leadership is. You are responsible then for everybody who comes behind you. If you want to lead, really that is a position of responsibility. More then it's a position of authority. More than it's a position of privilege. More than it's a position that, you know, everybody wants to have. Because if leaders aren't leading, if they're just eating the flock, instead of leading the flock, it's going to be bad. It's going to destroy the church. It's going to destroy the community, whatever that community is. If the husband is just sucking dry his family, it's going to destroy the family. If the pastor is sucking dry the congregation, it's going to destroy the congregation. If the governor is sucking dry the country or the, the state or, you know, the, the mayor, the city or whatever, the boss, the employees, whatever level, if they're just sucking that dry and they're not leading them, they're not walking that stage in front, it's going to destroy whatever that leader touches. And so when Deborah starts this out, she says the leaders took the lead The leaders didn't drive the people. There's a difference. Because it's one thing for me to take the lead, it's another thing for me to drive the people. So grandpa, uh, grandpa always had Holsteins. All of you farmers out there, you might understand this. Grandpa always had Holsteins. And the nice thing about his Holsteins is he had them trained. He didn't have them trained to a bucket. He had them trained to a BB gun. And so he would walk out into the field, he'd shake the BB gun, and all the Holsteins would run home. He drove them from behind. He didn't have to be in the front. They knew where to go. But he drove them from, Grandpa's passed away now, so I can use that story. We have Black Angus growing up. They laughed at a BB gun. (laughs) And so we had to train them differently. We had to train them to a bucket. And so we'd go out there and we'd shake the bucket and they'd all come running. And so you had to make sure that you were far enough ahead of the uh, Black Angus that you don't get run over as they're trying to get what's in that bucket. At least that was the way ours worked. Maybe others have different experiences with Black Angus. But that's leadership. You need to be already at where you want the people to come. You need to be at the front. This is what leaders need to be. When revival happens, leaders lead. They don't follow behind. When revival happens, the leaders are the ones that are running forward, and then everybody else is following them. But with that, revival doesn't just happen in the leaders. Revival needs to happen amongst the people, too. Because, so it was uh, Watchman Nee, who is a Chinese evangelist, pastor, um, church planter. Yeah, he did a lot of things. Um, So Watchman Nee said, it's easy to find leaders. You look behind people and see if anybody's following. It's the best way to find leaders. 
You know, how do you develop leaders? We don't develop leaders. We find leaders, and then we put them into positions of leadership. And that's what he said. And you know what? There's some truth to that. If nobody's willing to follow, probably a bad leader. But if the people aren't willing to follow, it doesn't matter what the leader's doing. Had, had Barak went against the king of Sisera, or not the king. Sisera is not a king. Sisera was the general. Had Barak just went against this army all by himself, could he have won? Oh, it's possible. You know, we have Shamgar who defeated 600 Philistines just by himself. You know, but Sisera had 900 chariots of iron. So God said, this one I'm going to bring an army behind. But so Barak needed the army behind him because that was the way that God decided to have it work. And that's the way that the church works too. The church isn't just leaders. A pastor is not the church. An evangelist isn't the church. A prophet's not the church. An apostle's not the church. You know, the leadership isn't the church. The church is the combination of the leadership and the people. And so if my family refuses to follow me, and they fight me at every stage, is our home going to move forward? Or is it going to be a place of chaos? It's going to be a place of chaos. If the people fight the pastor, if the people fight the leadership, fight the council, because churches are so weird. Because it's not just the pastor, because it's the council. You know, and it's, it's the leadership, it's the elders, it's those who have the respect and the authority. If we as people aren't willing to follow where God is leading, revival won't happen. So God calls us then to follow him. To follow those whom he has put in leadership. And, you know, I say that, and I say that with hesitancy, because I'm in leadership, and it's, I don't want to sound like I'm trying to pad myself here, you know, and make sure that, hey, you guys, you need to follow. Because in all honesty, I am not the leader of the church. God is the leader of the church. And even within the congregation, I'm still called to submit to our council. I, I point to Bruce, but he's just the chairman, you know, and so actually he doesn't have that much authority. <laughs> Which is one of the reasons why we do things the way we do them at Hosanna, so that the power is spread out as broadly as possible. You know, so that we can withstand the chaos that comes from being Christians. You know, and so I'm called to submit to those who are my leaders. And anyone who follows is called to submit, to offer themselves willingly, rather than to be, have to be driven by a bit and bridle, you know, like a donkey or a horse. That's not what God is calling us to do. They offered themselves willingly. I said, you know, this is where God's working. I want to be a part of that. This is where God is moving. I want to be a part of that. This is the person that God has put in charge above me. I want to follow them. I'm going to submit myself willingly to that. And that willingly is important because you know what? I'm not going to sit here and browbeat you. I don't even know how that works. I don't have big enough eyebrows. I'm not going to browbeat you. I'm not going to guilt you into following, into doing what you should be doing. You can't do that. It's not the way Christianity works. This is what God has said. Therefore, this is where we go. This is what we do. The people offer themselves willingly, not just to their earthly leaders, but to God. And that's part of communion. You know, part of communion today is Communion Sunday. And so I want you to think about this. If you remember, by the time we get to Communion... Christ says, this is my body given for you. He is offering himself to us. Am I willing to offer myself to him? Am I willing to imitate Christ and offer myself to him for his kingdom? 
people of the people offered themselves willingly. Bless the Lord. And that bless the Lord is important because this doesn't start with us. It has started with God. And God is calling us to participate in it. If the Holy Spirit is working amongst us, then we're offering ourselves willingly to the Lord. If the Holy Spirit's not in our midst, we've got bigger problems. We've got bigger problems. Because that means we're not Christians. Because wherever the Holy Spirit is, Christians are being formed and made and built up and grown and edified and matured. Where the Holy Spirit isn't, people die or are dead. And so we bless the Lord because if this is going on, that means that the Holy Spirit is working. And, and we need him to. We look to God for these things. We look to God. Look to God to change your leadership. People, people complain about who's the president of the United States. People complain about who's the governor of Minnesota. People complain about who's the pastor of this church. <laughs> Do we pray about that? We pray that God would change our president, our governor, our mayor, change their hearts. Not necessarily change the person, but to change their heart. You know, this is, this is, we bless the Lord. I hear wives complain about their husbands. Do you pray for your husband? Your husbands pray or complain about their wives. Do you pray for that one that follows you? She would follow you willingly. Do you follow the Lord? Do you submit yourself to him? You know, that's our call. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Because unless he moves in our hearts, we're just spinning our wheels. We're going to fail. Both the Lord, there's victory. And then God does spiritual work because it's not just a physical change that happens. Situations need to change. The world changes. And so what Deborah talks here, remember, this is poetry. And so when, poet, when we encounter poetry, we're counting metaf- metaf- metaphor. You can see why I like English so much. We encounter metaphor and we encounter things of that sort. There's probably more of them, but I, I would need an actual English teacher here to teach me what that stuff all means. Um, but I understand to some degree what the metaphor means. Verse 4. The Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the region of Zion, so south to north, that's what this is saying. The earth trembled. So what does it mean that the earth trembled? That which people thought was solid stopped being solid. That which was established stopped being established. That which people rely upon. Because we rely upon the ground being stable, right? How often do you think when you're walking, this thing that I'm walking on is probably going to fall through. We don't think about that unless you're on ice or something of that sort. But you know, when I'm walking on a sidewalk, I'm not always worried that this thing is going to fall through, that I'm going to, you know, just all of a sudden the ground's going to open up before me. You know, I don't think like that. I'm on a sidewalk or I'm on a dirt road or something of that sort. I think I'm on something solid and reliable. And God's saying when God shows up, that thing that people have been relying upon is no longer reliable. It is shaken. It is not trustworthy. It is shown to be what it is. And why does God do that? So that we don't rely upon the earthly things, but we rely upon the spiritual things. 
you know, this coronavirus that's going on. What is that? That is a wake-up call that, you know what? We can't trust our medical establishment to fix everything. Can we, Rebecca? You guys can't fix everything. Not quite. Not quite. Pretty close, but there's some things that need lobotomies. So, we don't do those anymore. (laughs) We can't trust our medical establishment. It's solid, but it's shakable. You know, we can't trust what's, what's, been, what's been going on since Trump got elected. Do you know that the trust in the media has plummeted? What does that teach us? We can't trust our media. The people don't trust the media. It's been amazing to see this plummet in the trust in the mainstream media. What's going on? God is shaking things. You could, people say, you know, Trump got elected. Well, I don't trust the electorate anymore. Well, what's going on? God is shaking things. You don't care if you're a pro-Trump or an anti-Trump person. God is shaking things. These things which we rely on, God is shaking. Why? To show us that they're not really reliable. And then the rain comes from heaven. The earth trembled and the heavens dropped. Yes, the clouds dropped water. And so those things are tied together. It's not that the heavens fell to the earth. It's that they dropped. Yes, the clouds dropped water. Rain came. What does that mean? Renewal. Metaphorically speaking, when rain comes, there's renewal. How many of you like going outside after a thunderstorm in the summer? Why? It smells fresh. So what happens when God shows up? Those things earthly that we rely upon, we realize we can't rely upon Him. We have to rely upon... We can't rely upon them. We have to rely upon Him. When God shows up, things are renewed. The old is gone. The dusty, the dank, the the dirty. I don't know how many times growing up on a gravel road, I'd hear mom say something like, you know, if we could just get like a quarter inch of rain to knock this dust down. You know... That's what the church needs sometimes. We just need a quarter inch of rain to knock this dust down. We need total renewal. We need to have a refreshing. We need to have everything brought forth. This is what happens when God shows up. And you know, this is something that's bigger than any individual. Like this, a leader can't bring that about. We have to trust God to do it. Because it's a spiritual work. You know, and what does that look like? It doesn't necessarily look like a removal of the external forms. Because external forms are just external forms. So when the Holy Spirit shows up, does that mean that we quit singing hymns? Do you know that hymns were one of the, uh, one of the reasons given that we had the revival movement, like the Haystack Revival, when we had the missionary movement back in the 20s and 30s? People would get together and they would just randomly start singing these hymns. How can we today say, you know what, those hymns are now evil? It's not the external forms. Because when the rain comes and everything is renewed, does that mean that we have totally different grass? The trees change. You know, where we had pine trees, now we have evergreens. (laughs) Where we had pine trees, now we have leaf trees. No, that's that's not the way that God does things. He changes the things. He doesn't change the external forms all the time, but he changes what they mean. He changes what they are. He renews. That's renewal. That's what the rain brings. And so that's what we're looking for. We're not looking for Lori to stop playing the organ. 
We're looking for that organ to change us in greater ways. To have a bigger effect on us. Does that make sense? And so people say, well, the Holy Spirit worked. Then everything would be different. It's like, why? It would be different, but not necessarily on an external view. But on an internal view. There's been revivals that have happened because of liturgy. How about that? God can even use liturgy. (laughs) The thing that people often complain about, God has used in history. And so as the Holy Spirit works, he renews, the rain drops from heaven. We have a thunderstorm and everything is changed and nothing has changed all at the same time. In the mountains, what happens to the mountains? The mountains quaked before the Lord. The leadership The hierarchy, again, it's not that it changes. It's not that you need new people. If there's revival in Hosanna, I hope that doesn't mean that I have to leave. If there's revival in St. James, I hope that doesn't mean that I need to, I don't know, move to Butterfield or something. Even worse, Butternut. The nuts over there. Um, Terrible. No, it's that they quake before the Lord. No longer do they stand strong in their own power and their own majesty, but rather they see that there's a power and a majesty above them. Because what's above the mountains? God. God is greater than the mountains. And so when the Holy Spirit works, when revival comes, the leaders bow before the Lord. The mountains quake before God. Because they see, they see the truth. That even though they rise above the plains, they don't rise above God. And that's my prayer for America. That our leaders would fear God. Wouldn't that be great? You know, that our judges would fear God. That our Congress would fear God. That they would all of a sudden stop and say, I'm going to be held accountable for eternity for these things I'm saying and doing. Oh, it would just change everything. Wouldn't that be awesome? That would be awesome if every pastor in America stopped right now and said, I'm going to be held accountable before God for each word that comes out of my mouth. Think that would change our churches? If people feared God. The mountains quaked before the Lord. They didn't just quake. They quaked before the Lord. Thirdly, what's the big deal? Why do we need this? Why can't we just keep doing what we've been doing? Hasn't it been working? Like, aren't things working? Well, most people at this point would say, (laughs) no. (laughs) But people will still ask that question. You know, well, we've been, this is the church of our fathers and our grandfathers, and this is the way that they did it. Why do we need to pursue any change? Why why don't non-Christians just come in? I, I don't know how many times I've heard this saying. You know, people just aren't coming to church anymore. Have any of you ever said that? Heard that? I have. Well, I'm glad that Anton hasn't. (laughs) These people aren't complaining to my children yet that people aren't coming coming to church. Why do we need this? Because if things keep going the way they're going, in the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned and the travelers kept to the byways. What's going on? Danger has entered the land. 
if there isn't revival, if there isn't renewal, if things don't change, danger is going to enter the land. You could even make the statement that danger has entered the land. You have to stay off the highways. You can't be in public. Like the highway. So what's a highway? A highway is not just a well-paved road. Like that's what we have. Like we have highways and we thank our DOT for all the work that you guys do, keeping them clean and whatnot. But a highway in ancient times was just that. It was a highway. <laughs> and so that's, I know it's weird, right? But that's what it was. And so it, it was above all the surrounding countryside. And the reason they built that up was so that the rain wouldn't come and wash it away and so that it wouldn't have to be totally renewed all the time so that people would have clear places to walk and to move. So that was a high way. But travelers stayed off the highways. And they kept to the byways. They kept to the difficult areas because they're looking for safety. So they hid from public. Danger had entered in. There's no longer trust for our neighbor. There's no longer reliance upon the people around us. Lindy gave out a devotional on Saturday morning about isolation. Why do we isolate ourselves? Because we don't trust the people around us. Think about that. We are living, what was it? People don't buy donuts anymore. You know, that's terrifying. (laughs) I didn't think how funny that would be. (laughs) Why aren't people buying donuts? They might buy one, but they don't buy a case. Why Why would you need a case of donuts? Because you're going out with people. I hope. I hope you buy a case of donuts because you're going to be hanging out with other people. And it's not like this is just going to be a pajama day. Um, They've isolated themselves because they don't trust others. They don't want to invest in others. The highways are abandoned. We're no longer interacting with each other as, as the world. Now we do it on Facebook and Instagram. How ridiculous is that? Because I can't trust Bruce with my mess, so I only have to present the clean part of my house, which probably my porch. <laughs> you know, we keep others out because we don't trust them. And we stay away from others because we don't trust them. So danger enters in. And idolatry enters in. Because when the Lord's not moving, then something else becomes the Lord. When we're not seeking the Lord, then something else becomes our Lord. And I don't know what that's going to be. But I'll tell you what, I know what people are seeking. Because I don't know what that's going to be for you. Because it's going to manifest differently in you than it's going to manifest in me. You know, people pursue money. Fame. Money. Wealth. Wealth isn't just money, but, you know, the accumulation of stuff. People pursue this. They live their life for this. Fame, fortune, power, prestige, leisure. We live in a country that worships leisure. Don't we? How many people do you know that work all week just because they want to be able to party on the weekend? You know, what are they living for? Well, that's obviously living for Jesus then. Probably not. They're living for their leisure. They're living for their dopamine rush. That's an idol in their lives. They're living so that they can take pictures and post them on Instagram. I hear about these Instagram-ready vacations. Can you imagine that? I'm taking a vacation so that I can take pictures of it to post online. Like That's the purpose of my vacation. 
Wow. I would bet that's why Bruce and Lori go on vacation. Bruce is posting stuff on his Instagram all the time. People do that. What's going on? What are they worshiping? It ain't Jesus. And so when the gods are chosen, the Lord is no longer God. We've got to pick something else. When revival happens, the Lord is God. When renewal isn't happening, when revival isn't happening, the Lord isn't God. So people, they pick whatever they want. Could be their church. Could be Instagram. I'm still kind of blown away at that whole Instagram ratification thing. But I saw that advertised. It's new to me. When new gods were chosen, then war was in the gates. Was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel? My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people. People become powerless. Come like sheep to the slaughter. When I'm worshiping the things of this world, whatever the things of this world would be, I become powerless. Or at, at least, at very least, God reveals my powerlessness by bringing war upon us. By bringing war upon me. Bringing difficulty and hardship into my life. Does that mean that every difficulty and hardship that comes into your life is because you're an idolater? Yes. No. It doesn't mean that. But it's an opportunity. Every difficulty and hardship that enters into our life is an opportunity for us to seek who the Lord really is. To again make God the God of our lives. To make the Lord boss. To submit to Him and to look to Him. And so that, maybe that does mean that all of the hard, well, no, Jesus faced hardships. But you know, none of you guys are Jesus that I know of. You know, I know that angels walk among us unaware. We're told that in the book of Hebrews. Hmm. But nevertheless, if there's sin in my life and hardship comes, that's an opportunity for me to repent. When hardship comes, if I'm not seeking the Lord, that gives me an opportunity to repent. If scary things come into my life and I look to doctors as opposed to the Lord, does that mean that we don't go to doctors? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying if I trust my doctor instead of the Lord, I've got repenting to do. Because the Lord's no longer God in my eyes. And so when we pick the gods of this world, God says, I'm going to reveal to you how powerless they are by showing you how powerless you are. So what happened when the Israelites called out to Baal? Did he ever come to save them? What happens when the Israelites called out to Ashtaroth? Did, they, did she ever come to save them? Molech. Did Molech ever come to save them? No. Powerless. So they brought war to the people to show the powerlessness of the gods. They brought chaos to the people to show the powerlessness of their gods. That's what God does. This is why we need revival. Because the reality is, we are powerless. If there is peace, it's because God has protected us. That's it. If there is health, it's because God has given it to us. That's it. Can God take away our health at any moment? Oh man. Think of some of you who have had cancer diagnoses. You know, it's like, boom! Everything changes. Think about that. Think about what happened to Mina. One day at a Chinese restaurant, everything changed. 
But then God brought her through. But that's to be a lesson to us, isn't it, Mina? That we are powerless. I'm not powerful. God could strike me down at any moment. It could be my end. All of these things are a gift. And even when the commanders offered themselves to the Lord in the midst of that sort of thing, they said, we are going to lead these people out of it. The people rejected it and they were powerless too. So a leader amongst ungodly people is a powerless leader. Say, well, the president will fix it. Congress will fix it. They can't even talk to each other. How do we expect our leaders to fix it? Well, that starts with us. People offered themselves willingly to who? To the Lord. Okay, Lord, here I am. I'm yours anyways. And I need you to save me. So today as we take communion and as Christ offers himself to you, are you willing to offer yourself to him? Lord, you have given me your body. I give you mine. Lord, you have given me your blood. I give you my life. I offer myself to you. This is an opportunity for you to make a commitment in your soul. And if you want to do it out loud, you're welcome to. I know we're Lutherans and a lot of us are Scandinavians. And so this out loud thing is kind of weird. (laughs) But that's what we're doing. We partake in him. But he wants that to be a participation for us then to give back unto him. Amen. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this poem. Lord, we thank you for pulling back the veil to see what you're doing. Lord, and I pray that as we peer into this veil, as we look into this pattern, that we would align ourselves with this and that we would offer ourselves to you, trusting you to work in the spiritual world in ways that we can't. Father, because if you're not working, we're sunk. Lord, we don't want to be sunk. We want to float. We want to walk on the water like Peter did. Lord, and so we look to you. We pray that you would bless, that you would guide, that you would move, and that you would move starting with the guy in these clothes. That you'd move in me first. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. We pray that God will bless you through this. If you ever want to watch these sermons, we also have a YouTube channel, Hosanna Free Lutheran Church, or you can always find us online at www.hosannafreelutheran.com.